You're listening to the preaching ministry of Redemption Bible Church in New Braunfels, Texas, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you seek to worship Christ, walk with Christ, and work for Christ, all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, please visit redemption.bible. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon at one of our upcoming worship services. Turn in your copy of God's Word then to Romans 15, 14. Continuing in this series, uh, Come and Belong, and, uh, and we're coming back to uh, this uh, passage that we were around in a few weeks ago, digging around for treasure, the treasure of welcoming one another. And, and now we return for another treasure. For Romans really is, is filled with countless gospel uh, treasures, but here we find a gem from God that also guides our uncommon community. Another one of those characteristics that make uh, the, the body of Christ, that make the church unique and distinct, especially in our world, in an, in an age where, uh, where moral virtue is really a free-for-all, where everyone is wise in their own eyes. And, and this is what we find as we look around. Moral virtue as a free fall, everyone wise in their own eyes. And, and this is what we find. It's what is normal or common. But redemption, we're not just after what we find in the world around us. No, uncommon community is built, not found. It, it, it happens as God's people, as every believer, each member takes his or her responsibility for one another seriously stewarding the gifts that God has given us to uh, invest in others to the glory of God by following his commands, by remaining committed to the one another's and to the relationships of seeing it through and living these things out and not looking just to, to consume or be entertained or to always receive from others, but to give back and not just give up when it's hard or when we are hurt as we are all in this process together, but rather we are in choosing to invest in one another for their spiritual good. And so as we come back now to Romans 15 here, uh, 15, 14, it's one of those building blocks, the building blocks for our community. And so I want to read it for us. It's short, it's simple, but it is significant to how we mutually minister to one another as God's people. Hopefully you have it before you there. I want to read it for us and then we will take it apart and look at the context and cross-references and things of that nature. But our text, our verse says this. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able Here's the one another to instruct one another. Now, this is God's word for God's people, a short, simple, yet significant verse that guides how we mutually minister and is a building block into our community. And so here's really what's underlining it. The thesis of this verse and for our message, the message this morning is really this. Write this down. Instruction is an investment into our uncommon community. Taking this one another of instructing, instruction is an investment into the community around us. Now, note this, as God builds this house, 
He builds this family of faith here. He has designed that to happen through the investment of his people. As each one of us is uh, seeking to grow and to mature in our faith personally, we're then pouring out into others so that way we do not personally nor as a church become stagnant. Stagnant of the faith or, or, or stuck, stuck in our sin and immaturity. And what's really interesting about this verse is he is, is writing this to the, the Roman church there. Now, Paul is an apostle. He was a guy who lived long ago, wrote this book and many of the letters that we find in our New Testament. He is writing to this church in Rome that he has never met, uh, been to. He's never met the many people that made up the church. He had never sat in a worship service like we are doing now, but he only knows them through their reputation. He has heard through others of what God was doing in their body of believers. Now, he does know lots of people. If chapter 16 gives us any indication as he lists out all these names, names that are admittedly very hard to pronounce, names that we don't know uh, much about, the only mention of them is, are in this chapter. He apparently knew many people through his travels, through his other missionary endeavors and things, but he, he knows their, 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 their faith. He's heard about their obedience to the things of the Lord, and what he's written in this letter uh, is largely theological. Maybe you're familiar with Romans. If not, the first 11 verses are really the, his magnum opus. They are a theology textbook about the things of God, about who he is and who we are and how we are saved. He writes about sin and justification, sanctification and election and all the big words that we use in theology. And he, he writes about them, but then he has uh, some chapters after that, really 12 through the end, that are full of application. And in a way, he's saying, here is what is true, now live accordingly. Here is what is true about the things of God, now let your life follow this example. And he comes now to chapter 15, and he's saying, I, I'm satisfied about you. He's commending them for their maturity in the faith, for where they are and how they have progressed, how they have been sanctified in where they find themselves in these matters. And why can he be satisfied about them? Why can he begin the verse saying, I am satisfied or content with where you are in the faith and your ability to carry this out? Well, the context seems to give the indication here, what we saw a few weeks ago. They have the word of God. Chapter 15, verse 4, he says, uh, these things were written for whatever was written in former days was written for your instruction. Speaking of the Old Testament, speaking of the word, they have the word and they have the God of the word. Verse 5, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. He is satisfied about where they are in faith and their ability to carry out this one another. Why? Because they have the word of God and the God of the word. They have what they need. As a body, uh, they are collectively mature and maturing in the faith. Not perfect by any means. He's not saying you have arrived and achieved all of these things. But he's ready to say you are mature in this. But he will have to warn them. Like if there's, if, unless we think that they have just arrived or like are entirely sanctified or anything. He does have to warn them of things to watch out for. In, in chapter 16, later, you can turn over here if you want to see it here. In verse 17 of chapter 16, he has to appeal to them to watch out for divisive people. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles 
contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. And so, yes, they're mature. Yes, they're growing. But in the things that in the earlier chapters, if there are those causing divisions based on these things, watch out as the as they may seem mature, but are just causing uh, obstacles to the body of Christ. He also says to watch out for flatterers. Continuing on verse 18 of chapter 16, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Now, sometimes this, even uh, those that are seemingly mature use eloquent speech and, and, and big words that maybe sound encouraging or sound truthful, but are just buttering up others to gain an advantage over them, an advantage uh, maybe spiritually or physically or financially or something. And this is helpful for us to just understand the context as, as we, he's saying, you're mature, and I think this, is, this hopefully is where we are this morning too. Do you want to have a healthy, growing, vibrant faith personally in the Lord Jesus Christ? That's right, the thing. I want that. Do we want to be a part of a church that is healthy, growing, and vibrant in faith, maturing and multiplying to the glory of God? Absolutely. And then we need to stay humble, teachable, and vulnerable in these things, especially as we seek to live out this one another that he is instructing us to live out in verse 14. If we're going to instruct one another, then, uh, then we have to, one, properly understand it and have the right heart attitude when it comes to uh, obeying it. But what's interesting here in this idea here is we come to that they're able to instruct one another. As with all of these one another's, we have to rightly understand the biblical concept because the, the way that we use it normally or the way that it's uh, in our English language, sometimes it's been distorted or, 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 or just, it's just been made a mess of. Or it doesn't have as robust a, as a understanding or usage as the Bible would use. We saw this early on and, and love one another and how different a worldly love or a common love is than a biblical love. And the idea of welcoming and on and on it goes. And this same is true in this word here. It, it, they, they mean so much more than what we use them for. Because like, even think about this. When, I, when the Bible uses this or you hear me say to instruct one another, what typically comes to mind? Or what, like, what comes to your mind right now? When you hear the word instruction, teaching, right? And what setting does it normally happen in? In like a classroom or something, right? You're instructing, you're tr the, the transfer of information is often what we would mean by that, uh, in, whether it's in the classroom and information or in like taking lessons. You're taking music lessons or some other skill and they're imparting this. And it's usually in a very formal sense here. But in, in this case here, it's not so much uh, a formal. And the church is not merely just a classroom. You didn't show up this morning just to a lecture. Well, some are like, this is kind of like a, <laughs> a lecture this morning. Hopefully, preaching and the proclamation of the word of God is not merely a lecture. But within the church, this, this is life. It's fellowship. It's discipleship. It's investing in one another as we do life together, as we belong to this community and we're committed to these same things together. This is the setting and this is the, the, the word here. And, and instruction is a, is, a, is a proper rendering of this word, but in the New Testament, it actually uses it, it and we'll see it here in just a moment. It'll translate this word in a multitude of different ways. Of, uh, uh, most often in the word admonish one another 
or to warn one another or to instruct one another. And it has at its, at its core the same meaning played out in different ways. See, the, the, the word here really simply just means to put sense in, okay? To put sense into somebody else and not like we're like, you know, gumball machines and we're putting a quarter in, you know, like sense in that way, but of putting biblical wisdom in uh, one another. We, and sometimes that looks like a warning. Sometimes that looks like an admonishment. But even those English words that has a, a, a more of a harsh tone and instruct has a more formal classroom tone. But it could also be properly rendered counsel. To counsel one another. You're able to give counsel, to put sense in. And even that word, we think of that, and it's all very, it's very professionalized. And yet here's something that we as believers are called to do. We saw it last week as we were instructed to encourage one another. First Thessalonians 5.14, we urge you brothers to admonish, same word there, to instruct the idle or unruly, to encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. Same word right there. But here's the thing, our instruction, our admonishment, our counsel is not to be harsh or proud because it is full of goodness and full of the knowledge that we need to help. And therefore, therefore, our counsel, our instruction is to be without arrogance. As we seek to pour into others, it is not for the sake of self-promotion, of being seen as the expert in, in everything, to be seen as the authority in all things, placing ourselves in that seat, but rather to instruct others without arrogance. And so how do we do that? How are we more equipped and able to do this? Well, our verse makes that pretty clear for us today. And here's the first way. If we're going to instruct without arrogance, the first way is that we grow in goodness. That we grow in goodness. Look at the verse. Look at, come back to Romans 15, 14. Hopefully you still have it. And you can see it here in the text. Look at it just says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness. See, Paul is satisfied about the Romans' ability to instruct one another, about their maturity. Why? Because they are full of goodness. And even as you, you hear that and, and you understand biblical theology and you understand what Paul's already written just several chapters before, maybe you're like a theology alarms are going off right now. Like, wait a minute, we're full of goodness? Didn't you just write something in chapter 3 of Romans that, uh, that seems to be contradictory? Right? Seems to be, seems to be contradictory. Just go back there. I want you to see this here for a second because I think it's helpful to understand what he's saying and what he's not saying. If you read through the book of Romans, what, what Paul begins with is, is helping us understand the radical depravity of the human heart. In chapter 1, he, he, he speaks about uh, really uh, Gentiles, all those apart from the Jewish faith, those who don't have the law and the things of God. He goes to show how, uh, how depraved they are. They're not good. Chapter 2, he says, well, before you get high and mighty Jewish people with the law, you also are this way. And in chapter 3, then, is this kind of sweeping argument. He takes a collection of Old Testament verses, beginning in chapter 3, verse 10, and, and makes this kind of culminating case for our depravity, for our inherent sinfulness, not our goodness. So he says, as it is written, going back on the authority of God's word, he then quotes all these Old Testament verses. He says this, no, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, 
Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Now that's a great verse to like wake up to and pep yourself up to, right? Their verses. Like, well, look at how it's described then. This is how it plays out. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, this, this is like a full body exam, head to toe, eyes to mouth to feet. Every, like, surely there's like a little part of us. He's like, no, from head to toe, guess what? Depraved. And while this is unsettling to us, it is also the reality of our humanity. Apart from the grace of God, this is true of every human. It's God's common grace to us that restrains this, so it's not just carried out in its worst and full and uh, 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 sense every day. It's not that the unsaved are just unruly, vile, the, the, you know, the epitome of wickedness. Although there are some like that. This is God's common grace. If you're apart from Christ today, this is what describes us apart from God. And this makes the beauty of the gospel that much more beautiful, does it not? This is who we once were, but God, being rich in mercy, with the love that he loved us, sent Christ, his only son, the, the son of God, to live the perfect life that we could not live, who is the exact opposite of these verses, full of goodness, full of truth, and he died the sinner's death that we deserve to die. Taking our place, standing there in our place, dying that death on the cross, but rising again that we might have newness of life. And this is the truth that we embrace in the gospel. The ugly realities of our sinfulness and the, the, the beautiful glories of God's grace in Christ Jesus to us. And as we do so, he gives to us his spirit, his spirit where these, these, these fruits then become true of who we are to where he can say, not in a contradictory sense of what he's written in chapter 3, but now why he can write to the believers in the church in chapter 15, verse 14, to say that you're full of goodness, a, a moral goodness, a, a godliness of character here. This is what's different. Now, because of what God has done in Christ, now we can say that we are full of goodness as we mature. See, in Christ, everything changes. What was once true of us is no longer now. We are characterized by something different. And that's what's really interesting. As we come to this, this, uh, this phrase here, you ourselves are full of goodness. And to really understand, uh, this, the, the idea of fullness means to be characterized by it. As you think of somebody's life, right? You'd say that this person is full of, I know it just came to your mind. Not that, not that. They are full, they are full of joy. They're full of, uh, of goodness. As, as I think of Jean, she is as full of the joy of the Lord. Her life is characterized by it. 
we as believers, as we are walking in the spirit, these things true are full of moral purity, godly uh, character for goodness is a fruit of the spirit. You know, this in Galatians five here, note this, but the fruit of the spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. See this now, every one of us who have placed our faith in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit and thus uh, these things are now true of us and we grow in them. As we cultivate these fruits, we grow in goodness. We're focusing in our life on personal character development. As we focus on godliness in our life, cultivating these, uh, these fruits. But the question maybe remains, well, how do we do that? How do I focus on growing in this, these characteristics? How do I focus on growing in godliness in a, in a real practical way? Well, let me, let me just suggest a few ways to you. Maybe first, uh, just spend some time reading through the Proverbs. Proverbs is a great book on practical, wise, godly living. It's full of, uh, of all kind of wisdom and treasures for the Christian life, even now as we grow in our character. <coughs> Excuse me. And I would encourage you just to take it slow. Not just to read it through, uh, you know, as, as fast as possible, but to take it slow. See, the Proverbs are like a, are, are like a plate of, of, uh, of, of a vegetable blend, right? Like you think of like a, a mixed vegetables. You have your steak, which really Romans is like the steak of the scripture. And then the Proverbs are like the mixed vegetables on the side. And how do you eat your mixed vegetables? You know, if you have broccoli and carrots and cauliflower and like water chestnuts and green beans or whatever, then you have, how do you do? Some of you are like, I don't eat that. Well, it's time to add it to your diet. Some of you, yeah, some of you eat it in, in bite. Some of you just eat what's closest. Some of you, like, divide it out. I'm going to eat all the cauliflower first, and then I'm going to eat all the carrots, and you divide it out. And that's really with the book of Proverbs. You can do that. You can read it chronologically. There are sections that flow together. There are others that are just like a mixture of, of, of goodness in it, and you can read through it thematically. It has much to say about relationships and marriage and parenting and how to be good stewards of our finances and how to be good stewards of our, of our time, how to avoid temptation, how to, how to walk in, in godliness. And so read the Proverbs. And grow in goodness, start there. Uh, uh, here's the second thing. Get somebody in your life who models these uh, characteristics that model the fruits of the Spirit where you can see this, this biblical goodness in their life and these other fruits and try to spend as much time as you can with them as is reasonable. I mean, it doesn't just have to be formal. It doesn't have to be like, you know, in a place of expert and, and recipient or teacher and student, but just seek to spend some time throughout the day. Uh, go about, run errands together, do uh, house chores together, work on a project together and bring these people into your life or ask to be a part of that and just chew on the word that you read this morning. Pray for one another. Ask questions. Uh, watch how they live their life and how these fruits uh, are materialized. It doesn't just have to be uh, super formal. Now, you can read a book together, guys. Read The Measure of a Man by Gene Getz and grow in these uh, biblical characteristics. Ladies, jump into the pursuit of holiness a study that's going on and learn from ladies. All of us can read books like The Quest for Character by Chuck Swindoll or other books that are out there helping us cultivate this, uh, this personal godliness, this goodness that should characterize us as Christians. 
And as we do so, who does this benefit, church? It benefits us, right? We are growing in faith. But it also benefits others as we ourselves are growing in godliness and pouring out and investing in others in this way. There's a second phrase in the text that teaches us here how we are more equipped, more equipped to instruct without arrogance. And here's the second one, to mature in understanding. Not only should we be growing in godly, next phrase in the verse, right? It says, you yourselves are full of goodness. And now he says, filled, <clears throat> excuse me, filled with all knowledge. Paul is satisfied about these Roman uh, believers here in their maturity because they are moving forward in understanding. They're not content to just be babies or immature in the faith. Now, this is something he could not say about the Corinthian church. This afternoon, go and read 1 Corinthians 3, and you'll see how he addresses them there. He says, you, you're babies in the faith. You, 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 I fed you with milk, not solid food. You need to be going. And now these things of the flesh, jealousy and strife uh, and, uh, and divisiveness is, is what's characterizing you. The, the writer of Hebrews, he has an even stronger rebuke in Hebrews 5, 11 through 14. He says, you've become dull of hearing. Not only are you not maturing, but you're refusing to grow. You are undiscerning. There's some strong words, and I think this is good for us even this morning. Think, well, where am I? Do I desire to grow? Am I maturing in the faith, or am I just content? I'm saved, and now I can remain a baby in the faith, and I have all that I need. Well, apparently, this was not what was characteristic of the church in Rome. They were maturing in their understanding and application of God's word. And now note this about the text here. Even though it's a similar word in English, he says they're full of goodness and filled with all knowledge. They're actually different in the original text here. They're different in Greek, and they carry a different concept with it. Whereas the full of goodness is like to be characterized by, like a jar full of water. In this sense, this filling is one of empowerment, one of moving forward. Think of like a sailboat. And a sailboat with, you, you set the sails and you wait for the wind to do what with the sails? To fill the sails. But as it fills the sails, does the sailboat just sit still? It's what propels it. It's what moves it forward. And he's saying here, you are being empowered by it. You are being moved forward with all knowledge. In this church, this as believers, this is what knowledge of who God is and, and who we are and scriptural understanding is, is what it ought to do in us. It, it's not meant like our understanding and growing with God's word is not just to like fill up our brains with a whole bunch of Bible facts and information to just make us Bible fatheads. But rather, it, it's meant to move us forward, not because we're to be know-it-alls, or we just learn things so we can be the smartest person in the room, to be the smartest person in our small group, to win that debate with your spouse about something of theology or to impress everybody around you with the big words and eloquent speech. No, the more we know about God, the more we love God. The more we understand the riches of theology, the more that we understand these truths, it moves us. It ought to move us to love God, to want to follow him, and likewise then to love the people around us and serve them and to invest in them for their spiritual good. Do you remember how Paul prays for the church in Colossae? 
You remember how he prays uh, for them in Colossians chapter 1, 9 through 12, those prayers that God delights to answer. It's very similar language. Just listen to this uh, as, I, as I jog your memory or put it before you maybe for the first time. He says, so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. This is what drives his prayers, how he, how, how he categorically prays for the, the believers there. He says, he's asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. There you see, filled with knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That's a mouthful of, of, of a prayer, right? Sometimes that's how we pray. It's just like one a long run-on sentence, right? But note how he's praying for these believers, that, they, that they're understanding that as they're filled with knowledge of God's will, who he is and what he's doing, that it moves them forward in wisdom and the application of God's word, that their lives would be worthy of the Lord, that they would be bearing good fruit from that knowledge, that they would be increasing in knowledge and given strength to endure when it's hard and to have patience in the hard relationships and all the while giving thanks to God. See, this is what this type of understanding does, being filled with this knowledge as we're maturing in our understanding, as we pray this way and live this way, we must be maturing then in our understanding of God that is moving us forward. And so maybe you're asking, well, how do I, how do, I do this? Does it mean I have to like, enroll in seminary? Like, do I have to sign up for classes? Do I have to I just encourage you, uh, for some that might be the case, but let me just encourage you, like the, like the Romans didn't go enroll in seminary. There was no like St. Paul's, you know, Bible college. But just read your Bible cover to cover. And when you finish, do it again. Just get in God's word here and, and begin to just understand the, uh, the Bible. Read through the sermon notes. Yes, get a theology book and things. But let me just encourage you, continue to read your Bible. Continue to just keep your nose here in the book, you know, before you have any theological convictions about anything or self-identify in any sort of theological camp, you read through the Bible multiple times. Do the extra work. I've just quoted many verses here, you know, even in the message this morning, like just, just take those and let that be uh, the point of your study tonight or in the mornings this week as I, as you see them on the screen or as I read them, I try to give the, you know, the references so you can write them down and just go and read and get deeper and, and deeper in the word of God and deeper in your understanding. And see, here's the thing. Why do we do this? We're filled with knowledge as we're maturing in our understanding of the things of God, who he is and who we are and how we're saved and how God interacts with us through uh, this world. See, the more we grow, the more we are equipped, then the more we can counsel and help others in more complex situations. See, in other words, you keep maturing, you keep growing, and you can help others, and you'll be more equipped to help others. The more sense that is in you, the more sense you can put in others. You can't overflow what does not exist within you. And so he's confident. He's satisfied about these things. But how else? How are we equipped to do this? grow in godliness, we mature in understanding, but there's a final way in this phrase here. How do we, uh, how do we instruct without arrogance? Well, we counsel 
then with humility and truth. That's really what he's uh, leading to in this last phrase, able to instruct one another as we get the first two phrases right, full of goodness, filled with all knowledge that then enables us to counsel one another better and more biblically. As we keep our eyes on Christ personally, our minds get saturated in this biblical wisdom. Our hearts are tuned to the key of gratitude. This enables us to counsel or to admonish or instruct in a way that makes investments into the people around us. Just look how he instructs the, the Colossians in the same way. Here, he uses some different words, but I want you to see this. Uh, here, this, this pattern that he, that he shows us on how to counsel with humility and truth. Look at this, Colossians 1.28. He says, him we proclaim. That's Jesus. He's speaking of Jesus here, okay? Jesus we proclaim. Not necessarily just in a preaching, but Jesus who we speak about. Jesus who we put before us. Jesus who we talk about. Warning. Now, that's just another trend. The same word as in Romans 15, 14 of instruct, nutheto, there it's warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. We talk about Christ, we counsel with Christ, we teach with Christ all wisdom so that with the goal of, of maturing the people before us. Look how else he talks about it later in Colossians, Colossians 3, 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, right? We ourselves saturated in it, right? Teaching and admonishing, guess what word it is? Same word, different, instruct, warn, admonish, but it's the same, same word there, one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. It's in us, what comes out of us as we pour out, as we put sense in others, teaching, admonishing, or instructing with all wisdom. We do that through the songs that we sing, the counsel that we give, and the, 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 the influence that we have through our grateful hearts in one another. Paul also showed us in the context of, of Romans 15. I, I didn't read it earlier here, but uh, just come back to Romans 15 and verse 17. And he shows how, how he did this, how he instructed the people around them, how he put sense or counseled with humility and truth. Just, just look at this or follow on. In Christ Jesus then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Is he patting himself on the back? Not necessarily. He's proud. He's boasting because of what God has done through him. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. He's not saying I did this, but it's what God or Christ did through him to bring the Gentiles, non-Jewish people, to obedience. By word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. So Paul's just saying, I instructed, I did this. What did I do? Through the word of God, through my deeds, my works matching this. And then God did the work that he can do through the power of the Holy Spirit, through these signs and wonders in changing people's hearts. See, his words were proved by the works, which were. So we too, as we seek to instruct one another to counsel with grace or counsel with humility and truth we must then just make sure that our words and deeds are biblically faithful and then we trust the holy spirit to do the work that only he can do see in this understanding this getting this right in in our instruction here this is what keeps us humble see we can't affect the change that we so desire in other people 
God has to do that. He, the Holy Spirit has to do that. And that's what, even as we uh, seek to uh, come alongside and to have put sense in somebody else, this is what keeps us prayerful and dependent. It's what keeps our nose in the Bible learning. And it also keeps us from becoming arrogant when, when change does happen. They think, oh, wow, okay, this is good. I, I must have done a really good job. No, no. It's the Spirit that did it in us. And it also keeps us from being coercive when the change doesn't happen. Well, if I just do this, if I twist their arm enough, then maybe they will, get, they will, they will change their thinking or stop being so foolish or stop doing whatever they are doing. But see, our instruction, our counsel is full of uh, humility. It's full of truth. See, uh, what's common in counsel is just it's, it's one-dimensional. Just purely psychological, it's purely physical, it's purely uh, didactic. But see, in, in, in biblical, the goal is not just an information transfer. It's not just like we're trying to impute this information, but the goal is life transformation. The goal is, is following Christ, right? The goal is growing in godliness, of maturing and understanding here that is, uh, that is attached to the Bible, that only the Holy Spirit can, 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 can work. And so let me just make sure we don't miss this point from the text here. To whom is Paul speaking to, to, to do this in the text? Just the, you know, the pastor of the Roman church? I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, my brothers and sisters. In other words, every believer, every man and woman that is growing and maturing in Christ. That's who he's speaking to. That's who's responsible to be growing and maturing and instructing one another. He wanted to be there, but he couldn't. They wanted him to be there, but he could not. And he's in effect saying, you don't need me to be there. You can continue to invest in your uncommon community and the people around you with the leaders and maturity and the word of God that you already have. And redemption, this is what we mean by mutual ministry here. This is what we mean when we say a soul care that all of us, all believers here are involved and important in the maturity and the growing of, of, of God's people. You have something, an investment to make into the people around us so that when a situation arises, brother or sister is going through something, is sharing a, a need with you or has a, a, a point of, of confusion and who God is or in what to do and how to walk in wisdom. The first step is not, oh, uh, thanks for sharing with me. Here, call Michael. We joke about often. It's not even necessarily in every case, uh, you know, text your small group leader. Oh, have you told, told them about it? Have you called one of the pastors? Have you called one of the elders? It might come to that. But the first step is, thank you for sharing with that with me. Hey, let's grab coffee and talk about it this week. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to search the scripture. And let, let's talk about it. Let's, let's pray about it right now. Or maybe it's a text during the day. And you say, no, hey, do you have time for a phone call tonight as we walk through it? And so let me just simplify what this looks like. Because some of you are like, maybe this seems daunting. I don't, I'm not mature. I don't know. I don't know. What am I going to do? Surely this is best left to the professionals. Or maybe you're like, I don't have time for that. You call, I don't, I don't know. See, what this looks like, what this admonishment or instruction, putting sense in somebody else, this, co this counsel really just looks like in those scenarios, whatever it is, maybe they look a myriad of different ways. It's just correcting unbiblical thinking, listening for unbiblical thinking and, and uh, countering it with biblical truth. It, it, it just means warning somebody against unbiblical living. 
That's why the, this word is translated in so many different ways based on the context because it might mean a correction of unbiblical thinking. It might mean a, a, a warning against unbiblical living. Hey, as, as you're making this decision, as you're doing this, this is only going to lead to a place of destruction. You're continually hard, uh, harming yourself. You're making your life harder by doing whatever you are doing. It, it's, it's confronting unbiblical feeling. I understand that that's what you feel like. But we can't just uh, move forward based on, on how we feel all the time, knowing that our feelings and that are also corrupted by sin. And so let us walk forward in the truth. In, in each of these, this is counsel. It's instruction. It's putting biblical sense in somebody else as an investment into them for their spiritual good so that we can all be full of goodness and filled with the knowledge of who God is. And so whatever it is that maybe, you know, maybe you just lack compassion. Praise Jesus that he wasn't cold towards us in that, right? He was not cold towards his disciples. If you read through his life in the, in the gospel accounts, you repeatedly see Jesus instructing, admonishing, warning, counseling his followers without arrogance. Rather, he was full of grace and truth. The one who had every right to lord it over us didn't. But rather, he counseled with all humility and truth as he was moving them forward. He himself endured to the end, investing his very life, laying it all on the line. He himself, the very definition of goodness and knowledge, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, the one who came, uh, became flesh and dwelt among us. He's the one that makes this community distinct and uncommon, filling us with goodness, filling us with maturity. That is bride. We, his people, might be uncommon, distinct, and all this for his glory. See, church, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers and sisters, that you are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Would you join me as we pray? God in heaven, here we are in great need of your help in this. Thankful that uh, you, Christ, showed us how. Thankful that you, uh, uh, Christ, uh, uh, poured out your grace upon us, poured out your goodness, made yourself known. But God, we do need your help. Help to do this. Help to do it wisely. Help to, to do it uh, uh, biblically. Help to do it faithfully. Help to do it in the moments when we don't want to. And so, Lord, would uh, you uh, give us more of your spirit and we walk in him. That we might be filled up to overflowing as we keep our eyes fixed on Christ, humbly just taking a step, humbly looking to the needs of others, humbly looking to invest in the people around us. God, we want our life to count, and this is how it counts. And so we praise you for it and ask for your help in really the same breath. So Jesus, be honored in us today, in this week, in the years, and uh, uh, months ahead as we seek to faithfully follow you. Thank you, Jesus. We pray in your name.